Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life he gives. Good to be with you, my friends, um, here at Higher Ground. Um, this morning, as Ian mentioned, we're going to continue in our sermon series looking at tables that Jesus ate at and what we can learn about Jesus from these stories. And we're calling this sermon series Tables Journeying with Jesus Through Luke's Gospel. And so today we're going to look at a story that's found in Luke's Gospel and only in Luke's Gospel, and it's the story of Zacchaeus. So I'm going to invite Marcus up, who's going to read us this story. It's on your handout. And I would like to title my sermon this morning, Seen by Love. Seen by Love. So let's read the story of Zacchaeus. Luke 19, 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree besides the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at up, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, <clears throat> excuse me, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, <clears throat> excuse me, and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. So we have a man named Zacchaeus, who is a tax collector. Now, being a tax collector in Israel in the first century was not exactly like working for the IRS. Um, our government and our tax collecting system is set up quite differently from the system that Zacchaeus was participating in. You see, we're not talking here about a country collecting taxes from its citizens, but a foreign occupier, which is Rome, collecting taxes from its colony, Israel, on behalf of the empire. And the Jews uh, suffered a great deal under Roman occupation. So when a Jewish person like Zacchaeus stepped into the role of tax collector, he would very much have been seen as a traitor someone who had sold out to the enemy. And what is more, um, the tax system was severely corrupt itself, right? So the collector charged each household what the government required, but if that tax collector was going to make a living and support himself and his family, he actually had to require more than what the government required. He had to charge more. So did you catch that? He had to charge more. This is a, a built into the system. Corruption is built into the tax collecting system. 
Now, the, the term tax collecting here is actually a bit of a misnomer. Um, a more accurate term would be tax farming. So Zacchaeus is a tax farmer. <laughs> On top of that, we read that Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector, okay? So he oversaw the regional operation uh, of collecting taxes. He's the big guy. He's the superintendent, which means this. He wasn't just good at playing the game. He was really good at playing the game, right? He's been playing this game for a long time. Corruption, intimidation, extortion, right? These are his MO. So Zacchaeus was making a killing, right? Because you see, it just so happens that Jericho was at the center of a flourishing balsam trade. It was a pretty prosperous city. So collecting taxes here in Jericho, or the City of Palms, as it was known, uh, was, um, meant that Zacchaeus wasn't just a little bit wealthy. He was a pretty wealthy guy. Now, in Hebrew, the name Zacchaeus meant pure or clean. But our Zacchaeus is the exact opposite, right? He's a betrayer of his people. Uh, he contributes to their oppression under Rome in order to line his very deep pockets. Now, what else do we know about Zacchaeus that's really important in this story? I'll give you a hint. It has to do with his stature. He's very short, right? Zacchaeus probably wasn't just a little bit short. Based on this story, we can assume he's, he's pretty short. This guy is height-challenged. So when Jesus comes through Jericho and the crowds line the roads to see him pass by, there's just no way that Zacchaeus is going to be able to see him because the crowds are blocking his view. And so Zacchaeus gets creative. I have a feeling Zacchaeus is really good at getting creative because he's had to for a long time. Um, and so he gets creative, he, he hatches a plan, he looks ahead, he sees a sycamore fig tree. Now, a sycamore fig tree is a kind of tree that has very wide and low branches. In fact, this is a kind of tree that tends to be wider than it is tall. It's a pretty easy tree to climb as far as trees go. And so he climbs this tree and he gets this amazing vantage point. And then something amazing happens. As Jesus passes by, not only does Zacchaeus see Jesus, but Jesus sees Zacchaeus. Jesus notices Zacchaeus. Jesus even speaks to him. And when Jesus speaks to him, he addresses him by name. Now, Zacchaeus has never met Jesus before. But somehow, Jesus knows Zacchaeus' name. We don't know how many people were in this crowd. Could have been hundreds of people cheering, staring. Maybe some were praising. Maybe some were calling out. Uh, maybe there were thousands. We don't know. But none of them does Jesus call by name until Zacchaeus passes. Uh, sorry, so till um, he passes Zacchaeus at the sycamore fig tree. Zacchaeus, Jesus says. Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. And what does Zacchaeus do? He doesn't skip a beat, right? With joy and excitement, Zacchaeus comes down from the tree and he welcomes Jesus into his home. So let's stop back for a moment and just look at what's happening here. There's a sense here that Zacchaeus's life is about to take a new direction, that the needle on the compass of his life is about to shift. 
right? That he's not going to be the same after this encounter. Indeed, there's a sense that this encounter is going to redefine his life. It's going to redefine his relationships. It's going to redefine his ambitions for sure. And it's actually going to redefine his heart. You see, transformation is about to take place. We see it coming. Transformation is about to take place in Zacchaeus' life. And what is the key to that transformation? What unlocks the transformation for Zacchaeus? Well, I believe that it was this. Zacchaeus has the distinct experience of being seen by Jesus. And being seen by Jesus is being seen by love, pure love, God's love. And I'm guessing Zacchaeus was maybe not used to being seen by love much at all, let alone pure love, God's love. Right? I, I wonder if Zacchaeus' shortness, I'm just kind of speculating here, I'm imagining here, I'm using my baptized imagination. I'm just wondering if Zacchaeus' shortness caused him to experience shame from a young age. I wonder if he was the shortest of his siblings and if his, his taller siblings got the, uh, the affection and the approval from his parents that, that he craved. Maybe um, he was constantly picked on by uh, his peers and bullied. I wonder if he was turned down for jobs that he qualified perfectly well for. I'm pretty sure he was not the most eligible bachelor. I wonder if um, maybe he even felt cursed by God. Did anyone see Zacchaeus for who he really was, not just what he looked like? Perhaps not. Well, if this was the case, I wonder if becoming a tax collector for Rome was Zacchaeus' way of making others see him, making them see him. I wonder if this was his way of proving himself, if this was how he chose to generate power out of his powerlessness. But when Jesus sees Zacchaeus, he does not see Zacchaeus as others see Zacchaeus. Jesus does not see him for his physical limitation. Jesus does not see him as a powerful status, uh, his, his status um, as an arm of Rome, right? Jesus doesn't see him as the self-serving extortioner and thief that he has become. Jesus sees Zacchaeus for who he is underneath all of that. Jesus sees a man. Jesus sees a man loved by God and made in the image of God. Jesus sees a man who has unresolved hurts, unmet needs, a man with skills, creativity, a man with many gifts to give. And as Jesus is, as Zacchaeus is seen by Jesus, something transformational begins to happen deep in the core of Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus will never be the same again. So here's the main point that I'd like us to consider this morning. If you're taking notes and you only write down one thing, this is what you can write down. Transformation comes from being seen by love. Let me say that again. Transformation comes from being seen by love. You see, transformation is at the heart of the Christian life. But it is not something that we primarily accomplish. It is what happens when we allow ourselves to be seen by God 
and to be found at the center of his love. It's what happens when we consent to be loved by God. Have you ever experienced being seen by God, by love? Maybe you have a story of when you realize that God cares not just for the, the, big, the big world around us, but for your life, actually for you. Have you ever experienced his care? Maybe not just even about the big things in your life and the urgent things in your life, but maybe some of the details of your life. I think that that's one of the ways God lets us know that he has his eye on us. He shows us that he cares about the details of our life. Have you ever heard God speak your name? I don't mean audibly, although I suppose that's possible. I'd love to hear your story um, if you've heard God speak your name audibly or otherwise. Um, but I mean, have you ever heard him speak your name perhaps in the way he answered a prayer for you? Or maybe the way he caused your heart to burn within you when you were reading scripture, but that scripture suddenly was about what was going on in your life and it spoke to what you were grappling with or struggling with. Or maybe it was in the way that, this doesn't happen all the time, but once in a while, the circumstances of your life aligned in just such a way that you knew God was behind them, architecting a path forward for you. Or maybe you heard God speak your name through the kindness that someone showed to you. Or the sense that you were not alone when you were going through a hard time. Can I share a story with you about a time when I felt seen by God? When I was 16, um, I found myself at a New Year's party with a bunch of friends. It was a time in my life when I remember just navigating all of those crazy up and downs of teenage uh, you know, friendships and relationships and social dynamics and crushes and not knowing who I was or what I was about and also just really struggling um, and feeling disillusioned about God and not really knowing if he's real or how to find him. Um, and I remember feeling this all come to a head at this party. It was really late. I was probably up too late. That was probably part of it. But I found myself sitting on the floor, leaning against a wall in this room, everyone having a great time, and I just started crying. And I couldn't stop the tears. And I remember a couple people kind of like patting me on back. What's, are you okay? Oh, you'll be fine. Oh, you're, you know, but it was like nothing could touch. Nothing could touch like the, 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 the sadness. It was a sadness. And it wasn't even about any one thing. I couldn't tell you really what it was about. It was just deep sadness. And I remember everyone going out to ring in the new year with their noisemakers. And I stayed inside. And I just let the tears flow. And I remember there was a pinata after that outside. And, and I thought, the last thing I want to do right now or that I feel like doing is making a fool out of myself with a blindfold on. I just stayed inside and I kept crying. And after the pinata fun was over, uh, they came back inside. And this one guy who was a bit older than me, I didn't really know him. He was, I think he was an older brother of a friend of mine, brought in a piece of candy from the pinata and he brought it up to me. And he just said, here, this is for you. He didn't ask me what was wrong. He didn't ask what he could do for me. He just gave me this piece of candy. And I, I don't know what it was about that. It's not like no one else has ever given me a piece of candy or something nice. But in that moment, I felt seen. I felt so seen. And I felt seen by him. And I think I felt seen by God, although I wouldn't have said it in that moment. But I felt seen. 
I want to share with you three things that I believe are true about us when we are seen by love. And so we need to get back to the story of Zacchaeus to do that. So while Jesus is at Zacchaeus's house, or perhaps this happens on the way to his house, it's not exactly clear, Zacchaeus makes a vow, a very generous vow. He says in verse 8, uh, it says, this is what the scripture says, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said to him, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Wow. Half, half his wealth. That's a lot of money. We don't know how much money that was, right? But we can assume it was quite a lot of money. But you know what amazes me here more than the amount of money that Zacchaeus is going to give away? What amazes me is the open-handedness with which he is now holding everything that he owns. It's almost as if if Jesus had said to him, Zacchaeus, I want you to give everything away, he gladly, gladly would have. But do you notice that Jesus actually doesn't say anything like that? Jesus doesn't prompt Zacchaeus uh, to, to give away any of his wealth. Zacchaeus makes this pledge entirely out of his own initiative. Right? This gift is not coming out of the weight of obligation. It's coming out of the overflow of his heart. It's, uh, Zacchaeus doesn't have to do this. He wants to do this. And I believe, actually, that this is not a one-time gift, but that there's a larger gift that Zacchaeus is giving, and this is just the sign of it. This is just the beginning of it. And that larger gift is a new way of living. It's a way of living without clinging to things, clinging to money, clinging to possessions, clinging to status. Zacchaeus suddenly understands in this moment that what he owns is a gift from God, right? He understands that wealth is not the path to joy that he once thought it was. He's found a new joy. He, he's found a deeper joy, a lasting joy. And it's a joy that cannot be bought. And you know what? It's a joy that increases through generosity. Right? This is a joy that grows not by getting, but by giving. I believe that when we're seen by Jesus, when we've been seen by love, we will begin to hold what we've been given more lightly. We will come to understand, um, as Rabbi Abraham Heschel has said, everything I own, I owe. We will trade in our scarcity mindset for an abundance mindset. Instead of focusing on what we don't have, instead of being consumed by what we lack, we will say with David, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need, Psalm 23. And we will begin to live more generously than we ever imagined we could, not even just in terms of resource, but in terms of our time, our attention, our presence, our willingness uh, to be with people we wouldn't otherwise choose to be with. So the first thing here is, that will be true about us when we are seen, truly seen by love is that we will hold what we have with open hands. What does Zacchaeus say to Jesus next? He says, If I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Well, what is Zacchaeus actually doing here? He's offering to make amends for his injustice, right? Now, according to the Old Testament Jewish law, a thief who is being brought to justice for stealing was required to restore what he was taken. He was required to restore what he was taken. 
But Zacchaeus pledges to restore what he has taken fourfold. That's extravagant. This was far more generous than what the law required, right? But perhaps even more extravagant was what was taking place in Zacchaeus's heart underneath that pledge. You see, he's coming face to face with himself, right? That's the real miracle here. He's confessing his sin honestly, and he's admitting that he's a swindler, that he's been a swindler, right? And you know why he can do that? You know why he can admit that to himself and to Jesus? He can do that because he's been seen by the very Son of God, and he has come to realize that the gaze of God toward him is 100% love, right? 100% love, which means this, Zacchaeus is safe. Zacchaeus is safe with God. He, he knows he can be real with God about who he is and what he has done because Jesus isn't in the business of condemning. He's in the business of restoring. Jesus wants to set him free. Right? And this is true for you and me too, right? When you or I have been seen by Jesus, when we, we've been seen by love, we're able to face ourselves. And that's the second thing that will be true about us when we've been seen by love. We'll be able to confess our sins and own our mistakes because we'll know that Jesus' gaze toward us is the same gaze he had toward Zacchaeus, 100% love. And that love is a love that sets free. It's a love that sets us free from the shame of our mistakes. It sets us free from the condemnation of our sin. It, it frees us to flourish. It actually frees us for joy. And when we're set free, we will naturally, naturally want to pass that freedom on. We will naturally desire to be reconciled with those whom we have hurt. And by God's grace, when we do that, they will see the power of God at work, and that will whet their appetite to be found under the gaze of God's love too. So secondly, when we are seen by love, we will be able to face ourselves freely. So finally, would you agree with me that in the eyes of his society, Zacchaeus is doing a pretty good job of making a fool of himself? Anyone agree with me on that? He's, he's giving the Pharisees and the onlookers plenty to criticize him about, right? First, he climbs a tree in the middle of this crowd. What is a tax collector doing climbing this tree, this sycamore fig, right? And then he has Jesus over to his house to dine. Now, I think that might have been more of a liability for Jesus, which says a lot about Jesus, right, than it, than it was for Zacchaeus. But still, you might ask, what is a high-ranking tax collector employed by the Roman Empire doing having this highly controversial itinerant rabbi over, with no credentials, by the way, over for a meal, right? Then he promises to give away half of his money on the spot. Hmm, is that very wise, Zacchaeus? Giving half of your money away on the spot, not very fitting for an accomplished financier such as yourself. Zacchaeus has become a bit of a fool. You might say Zacchaeus has become a holy fool. You know, people who are in love have been known to do some pretty surprising things. And when Zacchaeus tastes the love of Christ, he does some pretty surprising things. And guess what? so too will we. And we can do those things, 
because we will have st uh, stopped focusing our energy on making an identity for ourselves, or building a status for ourselves, worrying about what people think of us, because none of that will matter much anymore. What will matter is how God thinks of us. Do you have any holy fools in your life that you look up to? Maybe in history, maybe uh, people, mentors of yours, even friends of yours. Here are some of my favorite holy fools. They are inspirations for me. They give me permission to be a holy fool too. St. Francis of Assisi, St. Clair, Lilius Trotter, Mother Teresa, Henry Nouwen, Fred Rogers, I told you a story about a New Year's party, and I want to follow up that story with part two. Later that year, that was New Year's, later that year, around April, again, I was 16 years old, I was on a field trip. Um, it was a field trip for it was folks who had, I don't know, we were in the French Honor Society or something, and like, none of my friends were on this field trip. It was a very lonely field trip, and it was a long field trip. We drove down to Boston to just go to this museum. So on, this, on this bus ride for an hour and a half, no friends on this field trip, still really struggling with all of the angst of those teenage years, but also just really coming to like, kind of like this crisis with my faith. And um, I'm sitting on the, on the way back on this field trip, pretty melancholy, these alone on my seat, and these two guys in front of me the whole way back, they're a little older, they're just joking and making fun of people and things and joking and laughing and and they started making fun of this guy named Josh. And they said, Josh talks about Jesus all the time. And they just joked and laughed about that. And something in me awakened. And I thought to myself, if he can talk about Jesus, and all of the people that I'm asking questions to about Jesus can't, I want to hear what he says, and what he has to say, or what he has learned. And, and if he talks about Jesus, something, to me, that was a testimony he was a holy fool. He was willing to be talked about as someone who talks about Jesus all the time. That takes something. Maybe God had done something in his life. And so um, it turns out that this guy, Josh, was the guy who gave me the piece of candy at the party. And it also turned out that that summer, uh, I was enrolled in a theater arts camp, and he was my counselor at that camp. And we became friends and we had basically a summer-long conversation about God. And that is how I met and came to know and came to walk with Christ. So three things that will be true about us when we are seen by God, when we are seen by love, we will hold on to what we have with open hands. We will be able to face ourselves, the truth about ourselves, freely. And we will become holy fools fools for God. So I want to land this story. Well, I'm sorry to report that as far as I know, Jesus is not scheduled to make an appearance in Burlington anytime soon. He's not coming to the Flynn. He's not coming to the fairgrounds. He's not even coming to higher ground. There's no Jesus parade planned for Church Street. If you're interested in seeing Jesus, it won't help if you're tall. It won't hurt if you're short. Um, you're going to have to look for him somewhere else. But the good news is you don't have to look very far away. In fact, you don't have to go anywhere at all because Jesus is with us. He is right here wherever you are 
whenever you are, whatever time of day it is, whatever you're doing, whether you're waking or sleeping, whether you're working or playing, Jesus is closer than a breath. And he sees you. And his gaze toward you is 100% love. Now you ask perhaps, how do we allow ourselves to be seen by him? How do we have that experience like Zacchaeus had to be seen by God, to be seen by his love? Well, there are many ways we can allow ourselves to be seen by Jesus. But what, what it comes down to, I believe, is opening ourselves to his love. We can do that. We can open ourselves to his love spoken to us through his word. Have you ever opened the scripture and read it? But maybe not just read it. Maybe you begin to allow it to read you. Let the scripture read you. Let God read you through the scripture. It's amazing how the scripture will speak when we listen. Perhaps opening ourselves to his love is uh, coming and being among his people gathered and tasting the goodness of God through the fellowship of his uh, people. Or perhaps it's giving, um, giving yourself to Sabbath rest and tasting the goodness of God. Um, or opening yourselves to, yourself to God's love and prayer. I want to just talk for a quick moment about prayer. Because I recently came across a definition of prayer that just blew my mind and I want to share it with you. Have, has anyone here heard of Sister Wendy Beckett? Sister Wendy Beckett? Yes, she's a nun and an art historian. You might have seen her on PBS. She has several books about famous artworks. She also has a book about prayer. And in this book about prayer, here's something she says. She says, the essential act of prayer is to stand unprotected before God. Let me say that again. The essential act of prayer is to stand unprotected before God. I love the word that Wendy, Sister Wendy uses here, unprotected. It's surprising to me. It's surprising because I think if God's pure love, why would I need protection from him? But what if our default is actually to protect ourselves from God, to shield ourselves from God precisely for fear of his love? Do you think that's possible? Because you see, when we let ourselves be seen by love, when we let ourselves truly be seen by the love that loves us beyond all love we have ever known, this will change us. It will reveal to us our own hearts. It will undo us. It will break things down in us that need to be broken down. It will melt things in us that need to be melted. And then it will heal us. And it will free us. And it will build us up again. And it will make us more beautiful and more alive and more whole than we ever were before. It's also a little scary to allow yourself to be seen by God, maybe even terrifying, because this will change how we relate to other people, right? We will be asked to forgive, but we will also be given the strength to forgive. We will be asked to have compassion on our enemies, but God will supply the compassion, right? We will also be asked to relate to ourselves in a new way. And this might be the surprising part of this or the counterintuitive part of this or even the hardest part of this, right? We will be asked to see ourselves humbly before God and before others, preferring others above ourselves, 
And, and some of us have, have a lot to learn, and including me about this, at the same time, we're going to have to learn to be gentle with ourselves because God asks us to love others the way um, we love ourselves. And if we don't love ourselves, there's a problem. We need to take care of ourselves. We need to honor the life God has given us and the bodies God has given us, right? We will be able to do this because he will enable us to be humble in ways we never thought we could. He will teach us how to see ourselves with the grace that we didn't know we could have toward ourselves, right? God will even give us a way out of taking ourselves too seriously. Anyone have that problem? He will teach us to operate in the freedom that comes from being able to laugh at ourselves. You know, it's easy to laugh at yourself when you've been well-loved. So as we close, I want to give us a few moments just to sit quietly in God's presence and to consider the invitation of Zacchaeus' story here. What is that invitation for you today? Where are you in this story? Are you hearing about Jesus for the first time? Are you hoping maybe to get a glimpse of him, right? But you're being prevented by the crowds. Maybe Jesus' own followers are preventing you from being able to see him. Will you climb the sycamore fig tree? Will you climb the sycamore fig tree and allow yourself to be seen by Jesus? Maybe you've already had a sycamore fig tree experience. Will you invite Jesus to dine with you? Will you let his love into your home, into your heart, Will you sit with his love longer and let it go deeper? Will you open yourself up to him in prayer? Finally, will you let him transform you? Not just for your own sake, but as we saw in Zacchaeus' story, when he was transformed, a lot of people got blessed, didn't they? All those people he had stolen money to. Even the poor who he hadn't stolen from, he was giving to. Will you let God transform you, not just for your own sake, but for the sake of others? Because when he transforms us, it's not just for our sake. A lot of other people get blessed. Will you let him transform you for the sake of the world? Let's take a few moments to sit with the invitation. Heavenly Father, Jesus, our brother, spirit, our light, thank you that you are closer than a breath. You live with us and in us. We live our lives under the gaze of your love. Help us to let your love in more. Help us to let your love in deeper. Help us to be transformed by your love. May each of us have the experience of being seen by your love, seen by your gentle and, um, in a sense, raging love, Lord. May we learn to live our lives under the gaze of your love. Change us like you changed Zacchaeus, not just one time, but every day, every hour as we live for you. Help us to become more and more like Jesus we acknowledge that's not something we can do, 
That is the gift of being with you. That is the gift of your spirit at work in our lives. Oh, Lord, that is the fruit of love. And we welcome you, oh, Lord, to make us ambassadors of your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.com.